Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Mike Roberts. Mike is someone who has been around baseball for a very long time. Over 40 years, he's been coaching collegiately at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. For He was their head coach for over 20 years. He's been in professional baseball. He's managed in the Cape Cod League for several years. Just a ton of experience. And the main thing that we're going to be focusing on today, which I would say is Mike's, what Mike is really known for, which he's known for being a really great coach in general, but today we're going to be focused on, on stealing bases and base running. Mike has really, I would say, changed how, at least at the professional level, and even has trickled down to the college and high school level a little bit, how, go about, how we go about stealing bases, how we go about getting our leads, um, sliding, a lot of different things that, that go into stealing bases, and Mike has been at the forefront of it. I, I didn't even know this, but he shares in this episode of when he started learning about doing jump leads at first base and and really understanding you know, the timing aspect of the jump lead and things of that nature. So it's an interesting episode if you're someone who coaches high school, college, professional, little league, and you want to be able to help out your players on the base pass, which you should, because it's going to help out your team too. This is going to be a, a great episode for you. So stealing bases, Mike. Uh, Mike gets really, really. Um, I wouldn't say technical, but very detailed in this episode, and it's it's very cool to, to listen to. So he also has a book out uh, on base running. I'll put that link in the show notes if you're interested in checking that out, which I would highly recommend. So I did a presentation on timing and how to help hitters with timing. If you head to patrickjonesbaseball.com forward slash develop. So patrickjonesbaseball.com forward slash develop. Put in your name, put in your email. You'll get the free presentation on timing. No matter what level you're at, I've made sure to put this, made this presentation so it can help out coaches at every level. I, I make it very simple. But no matter who you are, I, I really believe that it can help um, help your hitters with timing and improve their timing at the plate. So patrickjonesbaseball.com forward slash develop to get that presentation on timing. Ladies and gentlemen, here is my episode with Mike Roberts. All right, we now welcome on Mike Roberts. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to visiting with you today. So, you know, actually, I don't think I've ever told you, um, the first time I actually heard your name was probably two years ago, a year and a half ago. I went up to this guy's house in Springfield, Ohio. His name is Matt Tallarico. And, um, and so I'm, I'm watching him work with players. He's doing base running stuff. He's doing some hitting stuff. And he keeps saying this guy's name, you know, of all the stuff he learned, you know, all these base running techniques from it kept saying, Mike Roberts, Mike Roberts. I'm like, God, who is this Mike Roberts guy? And then, you know, I get down to the Orioles and I'm like, Oh, we have a, um, you know, an instructor who's going to be helping out. His name is Mike Roberts. I was like, is this the same guy? And then it was, ended up being you. I was like, this is crazy. But, um, yeah, it's it's so wild how small of a, a circle the baseball world is, and uh, you know I, I was texting with Matt uh, Talrico a couple of days ago, and I told him I was having you on the podcast, and he was like, "Oh, make sure you tell him hi." And, um, and so anyway, it's it's really cool that you know the base running and baseball world is just so small. Yeah, I met Matt in two thousand and nine in San Diego when my son Brian and I were speaking to uh, ABCA and several thousand coaches there and Matt uh, got interested in the base stealing aspect and uh, visited with uh, us and boy he took off he took off excuse the kind of pun he took off running with it um, and Matt uh, has done a fantastic job and he's so humble you know he, he wrote his first book and he um, was very nice to, to put a page in there about myself and Brian and um, and now he's with the Yankees. So, um, and I'm going to see Matt in Chicago uh, in, a, uh, in about less than a month. And he's going to be running, uh, he's going to be the MC for a base stealing 
um, forum on stage uh, uh, on Saturday night in Chicago for the coaches convention. So I'll see Matt there. That'll be well. I'll be there too. So I'll be. I'll be. Uh, I want to watch you talk too. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be. It's gonna be a blast. Great. We'll pull you up on stage too. Uh, so. I don't know about base running. I don't know much about base running. <laughs> I was a base. <laughs> but were you? Again, this is a serious question. You're widely known as like. I mean, someone who, from a base running perspective, is very you know innovative. I mean, you think about it differently. You've had a ton of success with it. I mean. When when did you start thinking about base running and stealing bases and the in leadoffs and everything, just from a, a different perspective than how it's normally taught at the at all levels, really? Patrick, that's a wonderful question. It's an interesting question and one that um, I enjoy answering from time to time. I had grown up with a uh, in a wonderful uh, baseball area in uh, I was born in North Carolina but moved when I was small to Kingsport Tennessee uh, in East Tennessee and I happened to have some coaches who were really uh, innovative uh, particularly a high school coach that was extremely innovative and then went to the University of North Carolina and I, as I was um, uh, graduating from the University of North Carolina I wasn't drafted after my junior year but as I was graduating uh, the Royals told me they were going to draft me. Um, and, um, and they said, we would like for you to go to the Kansas City Baseball Academy in Sarasota, Florida, at a brand new facility called Twin Lakes, and where you and I met. Uh, and that's what's really interesting to me is that uh, where you and I met uh, in the spring training of 2021 is where I started learning a lot more about details of base stealing. And it was at the Kansas City Baseball Academy. Ewing Kaufman, the owner of the Kansas City Royals, was a new owner, had an idea to develop an academy for research and development, R&D, which pharmaceutical people have always been known for R&D. And he set up an academy there, and I won't go through all the details of how the youngsters arrived, but basically what we did, and I was there for six weeks before Kansas City drafted me after my senior year and sent me to Billings, Montana, but I was there for six weeks, and once the players who were going to Manatee Junior College in the morning came back, we were on the field all afternoon and doing experimental work, mostly with a stopwatch, so, for example, with base stealing, they would place pitchers on and off the mound, catchers, middle infielders, first baseman holding on, and they would experiment with different types of leads and how to uh, get a better lead, how to, uh, to get more spring in your legs, to generate strength in your glutes, uh, and they continued to work on through raw video back then and a stopwatch, you know, what was the best way to position your feet, your first step, uh, uh, your explosion uh, in those first three or four steps, like a sprinter coming out of the blocks. And we did a lot of track work. And then it, it, they took us out on the warning track and taught us how to leap right and leap left to extend our spring and then they'd take us to second base and teach us how to do what we today call a jump lead uh, off second base. So I was fortunate to be to, to go through, and all of this was done live, Patrick, as you well know now, <laughs> with us working together in spring training, almost nothing's done live. And back then, nobody worried about if the catcher made 50 throws or if a guy ran and you know and slid 22 times into the shortstop or second baseman or if a ball hit somebody in the head uh, we just did it and so there was live experimentation and that really jump-started my desire to become a coach um, and so the if you go back and look statistically at the Kansas City Baseball Academy or the Royals teams out of Twin Lakes in the Gulf Coast League you'll see that they broke all the stolen base records in pro baseball. Um, 
And one of the, the young men who eventually played in the major leagues that was there was Ron Washington, um, and also uh, who's still coaching today for the Braves, a guy named Frank White who ended up going to the Royals, playing second base for many years. Um, so some of the, the guys doing experiment there uh, made it to the big leagues. And so I played for the Royals for two full seasons, and then uh, a spring training before I decided to leave and voluntarily retire and go back to graduate school for to work in college. And so as soon as I went to the University of North Carolina, I began in 1975 to experiment at the college level with what they had taught me in 1972, three and four through the Kansas City system. And so I've been teaching most of that ever since. And then to kind of finish this part of our conversation, then my son comes along and I use him to experiment with through his first 18, 19, 20 years of his life in the backyard and on the beach. And Brian began to pick all of this up and then he carried it to the major leagues and he added the movement at first base. I had never seen anybody do kind of a small jump lead or a shuffle lead or whatever you want to call it at first base. So Brian kind of took what I was taught in 1972 at Twin Lakes and started to use it at the major league level in 2001. Wow. I, I had no idea that it went back that far, that it was back when you were playing is when you were first introduced. That's why do you, why do you think that it's, I, I mean, it was so long ago, you know, you've been doing this for so long. Why don't you think that more people have picked up on, on this and like have tried, maybe they have tried it maybe they just haven't done it right. Like, why don't why do you think that you don't see it more often in baseball at all levels? Well, let's, let's take the eras of baseball a little bit in the seventies and eighties. They did. They took it, the Cardinals and the Royals, particularly the Cardinals on AstroTurf, running became a huge part of the game with all the new AstroTurf fields. And then you start to get into the 90s. And of course, they had the strike in the early 90s. And then all of a sudden, you've got Sosa and McGuire. And when Sosa and McGuire got into the home run battles, base stealing began to retract. Um, and then you moved from Sosa and McGuire, you immediately went from there and Billy Bean and others, uh, the Cleveland organization as well, and a few others began, quote, the Moneyball era. And you, you began to read that uh, you know, Oakland wanted less than 10 sacrifice bunts in a season and they didn't want any steals because they had proven that steals and giving away an out here and there diminished the ability to score runs. So I think it's gone era by era. I'm, I'm, I am continuing to work on this uh, probably as much as I ever have in my 50 year career because I really believe prior to my health or ever getting out of baseball that I believe that some of this is going to come back and recycle. And that's the reason Matt Tallarico is with the Yankees. And if you look at their percentages of all their minor league teams this year, which I've worked on and looked at, you know, they're in the high seventies and we're all trying to, I'm trying to take this philosophy now and push it up into the high 80s and low 90s. And I think if myself and several other people who are willing to go out on the limb and project this can be done, that I think you'll see a lot of base stealing come back. We just need to increase the percentage from 77, 8, 9 up to high 80s, low 90s. Um, and for example, Vanderbilt University in 2021 and Kentucky, two Southeastern Conference teams, were both uh, 90% in their stolen bases, uh, and they were both up uh, close to 100. And so I think the teams, at least amateur right now, 
that are taking the, the kind of new age philosophy, which I'm going to talk about in Chicago, uh, are beginning to, to uh, make this happen. So do I think some of this is going to come back? I do. And I'll give one other example. Look at the New York Yankees. If they can take what Matt Tallarico is doing at the minor league level and take it to the big league level and still add a high percentage of home runs, I think you're going to see the Yankees win another World Series. But they're so one-dimensional at the major league level. Uh, and so I think you're seeing someone like the Yankees say, oh, we got to make some adjustments because we're not winning World Series because when the home run swing goes down in the playoffs with all this great pitching, we're not scoring runs. Um, and you look at the Dodgers in Houston and Atlanta, and you look at the Dodgers had five different players steal bases in the first two rounds of the playoffs this year. Um, and you saw the Braves and the Dodgers running in the eighth and ninth inning for the first time uh, in the playoffs. And one time the Braves stayed out of a double play and it won a game for them. And the Dodgers uh, got a game winning hit because of a stolen base in the ninth inning. Um, so I do think that you're beginning to see just a fraction of it coming back in professional baseball, and I think you're going to see a lot of it come back in, in high amateur collegiate league. Going back to what you were saying about uh, Tallarico and the Yankees and how they were high, you said upper 70s percentage-wise, do you think that's partly because uh, they're okay with them getting picked off because they're still learning the system and that the higher that they go, it, the percentages will increase because they'll, they'll be getting more and more comfortable? You said that better than I can, Patrick. Um, again, we call the minor leagues player development, yet in many ways we restrict that development. And, you know, I won't go into pitching or hitting or the other areas because we're basically talking about base stealing. And so if you – will allow these youngsters and not just speed guys what we've learned through the years those of us who have concentrated in this area is that many guys who are seven flat runners have tremendous instincts on the base pass but we don't allow them to run and we don't teach them uh, the the details and, and many times the guy that's a 6'5 runner is not near as good a base stealer as the seven flat guy. And we, we've all known that through the years, but through Moneyball, we've restricted even giving them a chance to run. Um, so I think what Matt's doing um, with the Yankees, and I think what uh, you and I have experienced with the Orioles and what myself and Matt Packer were allowed to do this year in regards to teaching movement at both first and second base stealing that you do make the mistakes in low a high a even double a and by the time you've gotten to triple a in the big leagues then that percentage will become much higher because you have a greater understanding of what you can and cannot do you know, I was watching your uh, your talk. I think in 2017 at the ABCA, I believe. Well, I think it was, might have been in Anaheim, and I, I liked I, one of the quotes that I wrote down was how you had talked about you want guys to be just as comfortable off the base as they are on the base, which I which I really loved. Um, how how do you go about helping players get more comfortable off the base than on the base? I'm sure confidence, like everything else, plays a role. Like, how do you go about trying to, to get them comfortable? Well, there are two basic ways that I've narrowed it down to now. The first is we go to 12 feet with the left foot, not worried about how you get there in, in these drill work. And for coaches, there's some really fun ways to do this. You can, And if you don't want to use dirt, you know, where they're dirty all the time or um, so you go over on the first baseline, you put out, if you have 12 offensive players, uh, maybe you put out 12 little flat bases that you buy like little leaguers use or in the backyard. And you let these players go out to 12 feet and you teach them 
to fall back to the base. So many times, if you look at a lot of video, many coaches are teaching to cross over uh, with their right foot and then dive. I've learned through the years, even if you're my height at 5'9", or your height at 6, 2, or 3, that we both can fall back from 12 feet, let our hand hit anywhere from probably 18 inches to 6 inches from the base, depending on our height and the length of our arms. And if I have 32, 33-inch arms, you have 35, 36, it's a little bit different. And you just fall and let your hand just ride into the backside of the base. So again, we're eliminating a step and teach them how to fall to the base instead of what I call most young men jump to the base. Because if you cross over with the right, most of the time you catapult up into the air a little bit. And what we want to do is we want to imagine that we're on the side of a pool and I grew up with all these Esther Williams swimming pools in everybody's backyard, 20 by 40, and we'd get on the side and you'd race and you wanna skim across the top of the water with your head above the water. So we just wanna fall into the base as if lightly on our chest and slide back in with our left hand going to right fill and our right hand, excuse me, putting it up, we just let the palm of our right hand slide into the base. So you, you need to spend five minutes every second or third day and let them all go over there and you have a picture or you say back. The other way I do it is I put them all the way around the infield. You may have seen me do this in the spring of 2021 at Twin Lakes, is that I put them all the way around the infield and they start on the edge of the grass, they take four steps, go to 12 feet, have their left foot, and we go all the way around the infield and we do a domino uh, slide back. So I'm standing at home plate, a young man's kind of in front of me up the first baseline, 12 feet off, 12 feet off, 12 feet off, we go all the way around and I say go. And so when the first player hits the ground, second player goes, third player goes, fourth, and we have a lot of fun with what I call domino sliding back into the base. That's the first way. The second way is to teach runners to that shorter lead is better. Shorter is better. So let, let's take the least comfortable player on any high school team. And instead of that player going out to eight feet or 10 feet or 11 or 12, like maybe the best base stealer, we start him at six feet, two steps. We go, when we go to six feet, we start with our right foot and we go right, left and turn ourselves inside. We don't slide towards second base. We have two adult steps, which puts us at six feet. So, uh, the drill that I use is the clap drill. And so we've got a runner at 11 or 12 feet with their left foot. Behind that runner, three feet deeper, we have a runner at six feet, or maybe even three feet, one step. Then I'm behind that runner. When I clap the first time, the back runner does a shuffle step out to 10, 11, 12 feet. One little shuffle. Well, he's already on the run. The guy up in the baseline, he hadn't even started yet. And I clap, boom, boom. And the guy that's got the little shuffle lead is comfortable, and we teach him to be comfortable both ways. He's already got a little bit of a jump, and he's way out in front of the guy who's starting flat-footed. So, again, I'm now teaching lead, almost all of my leads now are either standing on the base when the pitcher sets or three feet or six feet. I am rarely teaching eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 foot leads anymore because everything that I'm teaching is now with a shuffle movement prior to 
the movement of the front side of the pitcher. So even for guys with elite speed, you still want them in that six-foot range to get that jump? Yes, and here's why, at least on the teachability aspect, is that there are guys that go back out to 12 feet. They stay there. They're explosive. They're comfortable both going back to the base and going towards second base. But when I have a whole team, let's say I have 15 base, what they think are base runners and not really base stealers, and they're standing beside first base, and I said, how many of you are as comfortable off the base as you are on the base? If you're standing on like the quote you said a while ago, many times, and this is pro ball or amateur, I'll have one or two guys raise their hand. I've had entire teams not raise their hand and say, there's not one player that's as comfortable if he goes to 6, 8, 10, 12, that he is as if he's standing on the base because he's safe, which tells me that we're not teaching youngsters at an early age how to get off the base. I'm not being critical of Williamsport Little League Baseball, but when a lot of these players today do not get off the base till they're 13, it is difficult to create an instinctive base running baseball player. So what I'm doing nowadays is taking everybody very short and teaching them what you will see in Chicago is the Cupid Shuffle. If you want to go dance the Cupid Shuffle, uh, I'm going to kind of teach the Cupid Shuffle off of the base. And the first question you get is when I go to the Q&A room is, well, how does a guy get back to the base? Well, this is such a short shuffle that we are not committed going to our right. We're committed to a little bit of movement. We're going shorter. Pitchers are kind of clueless, which I won't get into too much today. Um, and uh, I might use some words that a few pitching coaches might not like. Um, but most pitchers today haven't run the bases since they were in diapers. So they have no idea kind of what the thought process is over there. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, I even have one video I'm going to show in Chicago where we steal a base in Katuit, and the and the um, the base runner is on the base. At, I mean, still on the base, and the pitcher is set, but we're and our movement is as he comes set from the base before the leg comes up. And there's not many pitchers that are going to throw over to first base if you're standing on the base when they set. What would you tell a coach, like high school coach, college coach, where they're like, we have to win now. And so we don't want to uh, take the chance of, of these guys experimenting and getting picked off and like that's going to cost us outs. And it, it could cost me my job too if we don't win games and score enough runs. What would you say to those coaches? Well, I've got a – I think a pretty good answer to that. There's a gentleman that is speaking in Chicago, um, and he's a high school coach in the Boston area. And he actually, because of COVID, uh, was an assistant coach in the Cape League last summer. And he wrote me a, uh, a note. It was 10 or 11 years ago. And uh, he said, Coach, we're up and down every year. One year we win, one year we don't win. One year, you know, we're up and down. We have no consistency. He said, we were in the middle of the season and we were like one and nine. And he said, I'd had it. I, I, I needed something new. He said, I bought your book, your first book. I bought your book online. He said, I taught him your base stealing philosophy in one week. Totally changed our program. I think he said they lost one game the rest of the year. And what he had to do, he had to teach. But in the game, he had to say, I'm going to let them make mistakes. You know, I got to let them go because we're not winning this way. Okay. We're going to try this way. Now, there are a lot of coaches in the middle 
that are doing a good job, but they want to pick up an extra two or three wins and still a base in the eighth or ninth inning of a conference championship game or a regional playoff game, and somebody gets a base hit and you win, and they've never run late in the game. It's also for that coach. Honestly, if you really want to buy in, and I tell all coaches nationwide, and I have a lot of them call me, if they email me, I'll call them. We'll spend an hour or two on the phone, and I can help them put it in in one week. Yep, yep. And um, and so it, that's what I would tell. Uh, and in the last few years, I've spoken at Texas, Alabama, Virginia, several other state conventions, Wisconsin, and that's what I tell all of them. If you want to make a change, you can do it in a week. And most of those conferences are in January and February, right before they start to play. Um, that's so crazy. you just got you just got to buy in. Just got to buy in. Wow, that's I mean, and that that's I mean for the high the high school level and especially the college level, the base running is so crucial, and it's it's such mm -hmm. an easy way to get extra runs. I mean, it, it really is. Um, Wow, that's interesting. It's I, I'm surprised that you at at this point just aren't like uh, being. Are you? I mean, I'm sure you're being sought after by all these organizations and teams everywhere for base running. Well, I get a lot of calls. I I changed my phone number at one point because I was getting so many uh, phone calls. And um, uh, but I again I, I I began to I want people to call me. I mean I mean I'm I'll be 72 in two months and I'm still out sliding around and, and doing things. And, um, you'll see me on stage in Chicago. If I slide, don't, don't laugh too hard. I'm I won't. Hey, I remember walking into spring training, um, when we were out at twin lakes and it was like 6am in the morning and I thought I was gonna be the first one in there and I get in there and you've already got a sweat going, working out. And I'm just like, I'm Betty's thinking like, man, they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> well, thank you. I, w I do want to give the name of the high school coach. I c all of a sudden, I got nervous and got blank on Kevin's last name. His name is Kevin Graber, and he's at Phillips Exeter Academy outside of Boston. He is a wonderful guy, and if their high school coach is listening to this, any of them are going to be in Chicago. Kevin is speaking in Chicago. Um, he spoke uh, at the big one in New Jersey at the at the uh, casino um, uh, last year, year before last, and did a great job. I'm trying to think of the name of the casino up in New England that they have the big high school clinic. Um, and um, he 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 changed his program in a week, um, and so it, it it definitely can be done. And I know so many coaches want to hit the ball out of the ballpark, but if I were to go back and I was coaching high school baseball, I would encourage coaches to put this in um, because you're going to be more consistent in your play every year. And some coaches will put it in their JV program and then in their, I mean, in their ninth grade team and their JV program and let the youngsters work their way up. And then by the time it's kind of like minor leagues and by the time they get on the varsity, they're comfortable. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea, honestly, for, for coaches out there who want to start implementing it at the younger levels. How do you go about teaching sliding? I think sliding is not taught, honestly, at really any level or practiced or anything. Is it head first, feet first? I mean, how do you teach that? Well, as far as the venue, you know, indoors, grab blankets, obviously. And, and if you're on a gym floor as a high school coach or junior high coach, grab blankets. And you just got to go slide and get everybody comfortable. Uh, I still think the old-fashioned way of being on your bottom first, uh, leg straight, one bent, bent leg slide, hands up above your head, so that you just get comfortable sitting down. The, the slide that I try to help coaches to eliminate is when players slide on their left or right side and they place their hand down on the ground, which becomes a break. Um, and you can go back, Carl Crawford, Ichiro, even some great base stealers all slid on their side. I worked with Carl Crawford for three years. Uh, he has a son actually getting ready to go to college next year. 
and um, um, I never could get Carl to get get off the the left side. Um, uh, and it's the same thing going back into a base. So many players put their left hand up underneath them. That's the reason I. I encourage the left hand to right field because when you put that left hand up underneath you, it's a break. It slows you down. Um, so sliding, I encourage also slip and slide. Um, for years, uh, if, if you don't want to, I go out and buy, go to Home Depot and buy polyethylene. I buy a 100, 100 foot by 20 foot sheet. I cut it in half, so it's 50 by 20. I wet it down, put baby shampoo on it, and we teach every kind of slide. Uh, you know, sitting on your bottom slide, uh, head first, which I love. Uh, and I even teach the hooks, the old hook slide on slip and slide. Uh, if you don't want to go out and spend the money for polyethylene, just wet the grass um, and go after. Just wet the grass way out in the outfield somewhere, down one of the baselines, um, you know, on the side of the field, anywhere, and wet the grass, you know, and just put on a pair of pants and teach guys how to slide. Um, I, I do want to differentiate in the head slide. I'm, I'm a believer that the head first slide is just as safe as the, as the foot slide, feet first slide. If you go to the outside of second base and you go to the outside of third base, most players are taught to catch the ball on the inside of the base and tag the inside corner. Um, I'm a real believer and I taught my son, Brian, to go to the outside of the base. Um, and if you do slide past the base, you know, most places don't have replay video until you get to the major leagues, is that you keep your hand on the left outside of the base. If you happen to slide too far, then you hold it as long as you can and then let your toe catch the base, uh, your left toe. Um, and I don't advocate sliding head first directly into the base. Uh, that I do not advocate, uh, not that it's bad, uh, but I don't advocate it. But to the outside of the base, I do. I think it's a great slide. Would uh, wearing that hand guard helped with the uh, dragging the hand? Well, it doesn't help grab the base is the problem with the hand guard. It's so stiff that, um, uh, that uh, but when you go to the outside of the base, it's rare that your hand is pointed straight because you turn your hand horizontally and you grab the base going horizontally because uh, you're grabbing the corner of the base. Uh, so you don't stow your fingers, you know, as often. But to be able to do that, you do need to be able to use the flexibility of your hand. And then one other thing I was just to add on to the, the sliding specifically Going from second to third base, how would you go about? Is it the same concept? Because I mean, the the third baseman's position probably a little bit different than second base. Well, the third baseman gets there a little later, usually uh, as much as they play off the base, but they're still taught to tag the front half of the base. Um, third basemen are as well, um, and um, so I'm, yeah, I'm still a believer. And if I showed coaches Brian going head first through his college career and through his professional career. I mean, he got a lot of safe calls because he, he knew exactly where he was going to tag the base. When you go feet first, it's very difficult. If you let your upper leg go across the base, then you're going to be one one hundred second later tagging the base with your under leg. If you try to touch it with the toe of your front leg, you're always going to slow down to go into the base. You're always going to slow down because it's, it's, it is unnatural for that toe to point straight uh, toward the base because your heel might, might catch the base. But the trouble with your heel catching the base is, is jamming your ankle. Uh, going full speed. So uh, the slide, the old hook slide is probably the best slide overall, but to get youngsters, uh, we were taught to use the hook slide to both the inside and the outside of the base. Uh, Ty Cobb style years ago, but uh, it is uh, almost unheard of nowadays for anybody to teach somebody to do a hook slide. 
Well, most of the injuries that I've seen when guys sliding into especially third base is feet first because they slide so late. I've seen yeah. that a lot. Yeah, and you got, you know, and rubber spikes have helped because the metal spikes, guys did sometimes catch their spike um, and, you know, break their ankle. Um, but I think, again, it's like getting back to first base. If you're going to be a base stealer, really there's no fear. And you never think about going left. Left is easy, whether you're on first, second, third. You know, left is easy. And when left becomes as comfortable as standing on the base, then you're going to immediately become a better base runner slash base stealer because your mind is at ease. And you've got to get everybody's mind at ease initially before they can enjoy going right. And I have a saying, always think right. Um, and in the World Series uh, in 2016, I had worked with several of the players, uh, and, there, and there were other base stealing instructors in the Cubs organization, um, uh, Doug Desenzo and others that did a great job. But I had worked with a player by the name of Albert Almora, uh, who was the center fielder. Uh, starting center fielder for the Cubs in 16. And I had started with Albert back in 13, my first year, and he was had been in pro ball maybe two years with the Cubs. And we'd go out early in the morning, like you were talking about. We'd go out uh, even before breakfast, and I'd take two or three guys out at first and second and work on individual base stealing. And I had said, always think about every way imaginable to go right. And this is base running, so... Those who remember clearly in game number seven, uh, the, the Cubs, um, Chris Bryant had hit a deep, deep fly ball to right field. Um, and the right fielder for Cleveland kind of backpedaled up on the warning track. And instead of Albert going out towards second base, he tagged up. And in right center field, that's fairly rare in professional baseball. And he tagged up and caught the the, the outfielder on his heels went to second base and ended up scoring a really important run. Well, he was asked about that later, and I don't remember when, and Albert was so nice, I never expected him to say anything. But he said, I had Coach Roberts. I was thinking that Coach Roberts said, always find a way to go right. And so we want to always be finding a way to go right and to do that better you got to be comfortable on the left side that's interesting i'm glad you glad you shared that story it's pretty cool it's pretty cool he gave you that shout out too that's that's awesome that he uh, that <laughs> resonated so much that he you know yeah that's awesome i got a question for you you coached your son in college you hear a lot about coaches these days and like daddy ball and all this kind of stuff at the younger level, obviously it worked out, right? I mean, your son played 14 years in the major leagues. How, like, what advice would you give to coaches or to people out there who's have kids on the team? Like I was, it, did it feel awkward at times? Like when you were coaching your son in college? Well, I think it was probably more awkward for him than for me. Um, and I think there's so much of this going on at the 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 age bracket that a lot of parents get involved at the college level, maybe parents behind the scenes, but they're not involved on a daily basis. Um, it's challenging, but I had talked to several coaches, um, such as Sonny Patero, who was the head coach at Ryder University in Trenton for years, and uh, he didn't coach his son Chris, Chris came to play for me, but I had talked to, to him about yays and nays about it, and I talked to several other, and, and I think it really depends on the comfort of the family uh, situation. Uh, I think the expectations for that young man are extremely high. Um, I think one of the good things probably for Brian uh, is he had um not been uh highly publicized he was very small um and it so it wasn't a, a real publicized event when it happened and fortunate for he and i and the program at unc 
is he exploded in his freshman year and, and was national freshman player of the year. Um, and so that took a lot off just because he ended up being a very good player. Um, but the, yeah, there's, there's some real pressure um, with that situation. Um, but I, I would encourage uh, fathers or mothers who are coaching, whether it be son or daughter or however it may work, uh, that the most important thing to me is, is to keep a balance. And when you're off the field, which I had to learn to do and Brian had to teach me is leave the child alone off the field, just do the baseball and then go back to being a, a, a just a parent, a loving parent, um, when you're away from the field. And I think it works a lot better. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, I'm sure it was easier when uh, he was the best player on the team too. And you know, there was no uh, arguing whether he should be in the lineup every single day, hitting high in the lineup. <laughs> that did help a little bit, without a doubt. And uh, he had some really good teammates that um, um, really were helpful. Also, um, Kyle Snyder, the pitching coach for the Tampa Bay Rays, was his. Uh, teammate and roommate and great, you know, so he had some other very high level players around him and kept him really humble. And, and uh, humility does help in those situations by both father and child. You've been, you coach college baseball for a very long time. You've been in professional baseball now. You know, you've, you've coached in the, in the Cape Cod League for a long time too. What, what's your favorite level of, of baseball? Um. I would have to. I would have to say my favorite level is 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 summer college baseball, and the reason being is you can experiment and you can do research and development. Um, it, it, at the you can do some of that collegiately when I was at the University of North Carolina, but you also are always aware that you, that you have an athletic director and you have a lot of people around in regards to, are you going to experiment and cost yourself a game? Uh, in the, in summer baseball, you know, if the only person usually, if I make the mistake and I'm working on something with the players to help the team get better and them get better individually is I'm the only one that loses sleep, uh, over it. In pro baseball, uh, I felt that I was very fortunate walking into a base stealing situation with the Orioles in the spring of 2021, where they were much more willing than many organizations to allow research and development on the base stealing aspect of it. Um, and so that was a lot more almost like summer baseball. But I was with the Cubs for seven years. You could do some things and not do some things, even though I I loved my employment time with them. But so I would have to say overall, it would be summer collegiate baseball because you get a high level player, you get a very competitive league, you can experiment against high level. So you know that if it works there, it's probably got a great chance of working in pro baseball and all the way to the big leagues. So I would say that's probably my most relaxed and enjoyable uh, place in the sport of baseball to, to teach the way I like to teach. What's your vision for the future of summer collegiate baseball? I'm worried about it. I'm very worried about it. I think Major League Baseball is interested in taking over summer baseball. I think they're interested in taking over Williamsport PA, Little League Baseball, I really think out of the commissioner's office that their goal is they have a saying in the commissioner's office, one baseball. Uh, it's posted. And um, I, I don't think you can one baseball. I think you need different leagues uh, with some different philosophies. Otherwise, you've got one philosophy all the way down. And that would be like the Yankees having the same philosophy as the Dodgers uh, and Tampa Bay having the same philosophy as Milwaukee. Um, so I, I'm, I'm worried about summer baseball um, I'm, uh, in lots of ways. Uh, I'm hoping that 
our general public in the United States, especially in our country, is going to continue to embrace uh, college summer baseball and go to the ballpark, same thing with minor leagues, so that there's so much interest in it that what happened the last two years where there were 40 minor league teams done away with, we'll never see that happen again. But I'm very concerned about um, summer baseball diminishing and going on the same path as, for example, American Legion baseball, uh, where 20 years ago there were 800 American Legion teams in the state of Pennsylvania alone. You know, my guess is now there's probably 200 if I had to guess. Uh, I haven't looked it up lately. But I, that's what, what I'm worried about is you're going to see diminishing, diminishing, diminishing. And when you only have 20 rounds of the draft now instead of 40 or 50, fewer players are going into pro baseball. So if fewer players are going into pro baseball, and why, why, how are we going to continue to grow the sport? Because that's where every player almost wants to end up. But there's fewer opportunities, and we ought to be we ought to be having more opportunities. So it's a really good question, Patrick. Um, but I am worried that Major League Baseball is going to come in financially, try to buy up a lot of summer leagues, and then from there it's hard to say where it might go. Mike, this has been a lot of fun, man. Uh, I appreciate your wisdom. I uh, always appreciate and and love talking to you. I I always feel like I learned something new just from all the baseball and, and experience you've you've you have. Um, it's it's so so much fun. Where if people wanted to buy your book on base running, where would they go to get it? Well, thank you for asking. Um, my second book with Mike Trout on the front of it called Base Running. Uh, is, is on Amazon right now. My first book will go back on Amazon um, soon, um, be on before I speak uh, in Chicago on January the 7th, I think. Awesome. Well, Mike, appreciate it, man. It's been a lot of fun. We'll make sure for to put first- the... Uh- We'll make sure to put the book in the show notes for those who uh, who want to go and grab it. And again, appreciate it Thank as you. always. Hey, it's it's wonderful to meet you this spring and to be with you. And um, Patrick, you're a you're a fantastic young coach who who has a little bit of old school, a little bit of new school in him, but you really understand the game. And so uh, I'm pulling hard for you to. Uh, have a great future in this and thank you for having me on and I look forward to being on again sometime. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. All right. Have a wonderful holiday. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode with Mike Roberts. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you enjoyed this specific episode, please share it with someone. I think that's how we're going to get the word out more than any, anything else, social media, everything. So please share it. If you enjoyed it, if you got something from it, text us somebody, Share it via social media, email, whatever, but share the show. Let's uh, let's try to grow. Let's try to get the word out and help as many coaches as possible because the more coaches we help, the more players we're going to be, be able to help too. So hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see everyone next week.